Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. That's the whole goal, Chuck. I'm Bob, and this is Chuck. Good evening. And it's another episode of Don't Die. But tonight's episode is going to be very interesting, because we're going to you're going to get to know everything about Chuck, the master of chemical dependency counseling in the Orange County area. So I realized like people know about me, but they don't know about you. And somebody was asking me about you. And, and you know, what always comes to mind is you're such a great dad and your children. That's what I always talk about. Well, that depends on who you ask. Ask Well, you don't ask the oldest ones. (laughs) <laughs> you just observe you with the youngest well ask the seven-year-old he still thinks i'm magic so yeah and you are with him and so so oh, one of the things thanks. i thought and and you have a similar situation to me you have older kids that you might have not done such a great job on. <laughs> no I, yeah absolutely i mean i was i was seven or i was seven you were seven when my oldest was seven when i got sober so um, yeah mine was eight he saw he saw some stuff he shouldn't no kid should see really you feel that way oh absolutely so so and were you with his mom yeah through all of it for that that seven years i was i was in and out of that relationship it was a very it was very drunken very drug addled very high drama um there's not a lot that i hear that i'm surprised by that you know as far as I mean, I, I would get bored and I'd start a, a hollering match just so I could leave the house, you know. Um, I, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't bring them, I didn't bring them down, but I brought like, I brought the gutter into our house. Right. And this is in Huntington Beach? That was in Fountain Valley and Huntington Beach. Fountain Valley, Fountain Valley High School, alma mater of Tommy Lee. Did you know that? No, I... Or Westminster High School. It wasn't to. Fountain Valley. We have Michelle Pfeiffer. That was our oh, big one. Oh, Westminster is where Tommy Lee went. But it's all the same thing. Orange County's got these cities. They're right next to each other. Inland Empire out here is good. You can literally drive for less than a mile and be in Pomona, Claremont, or Laverne. All right. at this I, intersection up I here. I see that. I saw right? Yeah. So, so, but I thought we'd talk about, because you're so kind and so patient with your little guy. And I've observed it at my house in LA. I've observed it here. I, I see, I saw you the other night with him. He's just such an angelic kid because his parents are so attending to him in this nurturing way, right? It's true. I, I think it has to do with him. Yeah, but, but, but say you're on drugs. What is he turn, what's he like right now at seven years old? If you were on drugs and drunk this whole time. Yeah, I have I have no idea. You know, see, I, I yeah, you're right. I think he would be a different child. I think he'd get attention in different ways. So we have to accept the influence we have in our children, both good and bad. And I believe alcoholics. Oh, you tricked me into that. I believe alcoholics. <laughs> no, I believe alcoholics aren't good at accepting the good. We're really exaggerate accepting the bad that we caused or did. Like I always say, I've only met your middle, your, your younger of the two. But he's polite, he's, he's kind to people, he's thoughtful, he's respectful, right? So if, he was on, if you were on drugs when he was little, right, he still turned out semi-all right. No, he was, you know, Sash was like, I, you know, gosh, I shouldn't use his name, but he was, he was like, there were uh, seven and a year 
and a half when I got clean. But that doesn't mean, I mean, like anybody knows when, when I, when I stopped drinking and using, it doesn't mean I became a dad. You know, that's when I started. You learn how to be I a dad. I started learning, and you know, yeah. it, was from, it was from the people in the rooms and remembering what I had seen modeled and, you know, unlearning some things and picking up other things and looking for advice. And, you know, it, it's, it's amazing how many people uh, played a part in teaching me how to be a human being. And then it started coming natural. But at first, I had to unlearn a whole lot of things. Yeah, to, well, you have to take responsibility for it, I think. But I, I just always think of you as a dad and a drug counselor second or whatever, but a dad. And, well, thank you, you know, buddy. in the, in, you know, in my world, there's, you know, Mike, I think of as a dad. Frenchie, I think of as a dad. What are all four of us? Sober, sober guys. Dads, mm -hmm. right? And so this is why, I, and reason why I want to talk about it is because I think, I take, I'm interested in being a good dad. I want to know what being a good dad is. Not being a best friend dad, not being a, a spoiler dad, not being a, a disc, emotionally disconnected dad. I want to know what being a dad is. And yeah, in, in the 12-step world, you can hear a lot of dad kind of stuff, right? Good and bad, right? Right. No, there's, there's examples of both. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard real hardcore, tough love. Uh, if my kid ever turned out like that, usually, you know, that, that tough kind of cut him off type attitude. I kind of have a little bit of that, but at least I have a sense of humor about it. But somebody pointed out to me when I had like eight years of sobriety, it's because you have boys. When it's a daughter, it's a whole different fucking ball game. And I never forgot that. A guy came and confronted me at a meeting about my tough love kind of, you know what I mean, with my older son. And I realized, like, oh, my God, if he was a 17-year-old girl, I would not be locking him out of the house. I just wouldn't. Right. Man, you need to open up. You need to learn. And that's what, that's what parents of addicts need to do. And too often... They just want the kid to stop taking drugs. No, you need to learn how to be a parent of an adult kid. You need to learn and grow. And they don't have an environment like we do to be confronted about opinions, to hear other parents talk about being a parent. Right. No, we get really lucky. It's an old tribal thing, you know, where you get together with a bunch of people. Some you respect their opinion, some you don't. But to have that kind of tribal influence of listening to other people to build, but you know, that's what you said is so funny because I can tell my experience and what I found to be true with my kid. And I can, I can state exactly what I've done and say, this is what needs to happen. But it, that's only going to be that same way for someone if their kid is like mine was, and then allow them to, to make their own opinion. Cause I can't tell anybody what to do or how to do it. I try to, there are some basics. If your kid's on drugs and they're living in your house, there are some things you need to do. There are some basics but not everybody hears things the same way. But I, I talked a little bit about honesty in one of the episodes. I think you need to be honest. Like I've told parents, yeah, my kid takes drugs in my house. Like just to let everyone know we're all trying to do the best that we can. We're all trying to figure this out. There is not some master Zen guru squad of parents. And then all the dumbasses that are raising their kids wrong. There's this evolution. And, and this, you can't, 
it's a constantly an ever-changing thing, right? Uh, well, the rules change all the time. Well, it's evolving as they get older, right? Well, I hope so, because they need different things at different times. Uh, you know, and, uh, and I, all, I, all I know is I got, I got lucky. By Your kids are how old? Seven? 21. 21. And, and 27. 27. 27 year olds. I've, I've met him one time. You've met he's, him. he's been over at the house, but I didn't live with him like I lived with Right. Him. Right. You know, and no, they, you know, there are some things that they, that I, I taught them, and it, there are some things I taught the older one in the midst of my addiction that I didn't know. They're just autopilot type things that I think were passed on, kind of like the way your dad taught you. And that you probably passed on those kind of frank... I wish I would have. I then did when I was sober, but when I was loaded, I was a different person, kind of. You know, I still had the same personality and opinionated and whatever, but I had different opinions. And my opinion, when my older son needed to understand how the world works, my opinion was so warped of how the world worked. I was operating in that warped opinion... And I remember telling him that the world was about the least amount of input for the most amount of export. That's a horrible fucking thing to think. <laughs> but I, I really believed it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I felt like you want to get the most, most money for the least amount of uh, work. You know what I mean? But it's a totally, it's a totally childish guy who's lost touch with reality for 15 years and now has got two years sobriety attitude about things. Well, that, you know that's what I mean? such a hard time because it's like having a brain that just switched on and trying it out and <laughs> try on so many absurd ideas. It talks about that. I love that. So many strange ideas. Chuck, did your 27 year old like see you high? And yeah, him, oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And my Elijah saw me high. You know what well, I mean? I, a I lot. knew that. <laughs> No, yeah. Um, you yeah. know that there's videos on YouTube that I cringe because I used to, you know, take Elijah with me to gigs, right? And I didn't have anybody to watch him, so I'd just sit him on the stage. Uh, yeah. And I'm sitting there wa- guzzling he'd, beers. He'd wander in front off. Of my son. <laughs> He's like five years old. There's one, Mikey. Yeah, there's one that we played the palace. And might I say, Mike Mart, you look fabulous like junkie chic like no other in this video oh well thank of, you of i don't know when when it was that era of tony rob you me and pete right and elijah is like four years old. i went back and looked at when he was born and when that day he was four years old i just brought him out with me and set him on the drum riser because i didn't <laughs> want to because i didn't have nobody to watch him Oh, and then I'm just that's... guzzling beers, and Mike's high on heroin, probably smoking crack near his amp. Oh, and man. There's nobody watching him. <laughs> <laughs> and he survived. Isn't that crazy? You didn't have a leash on him? Near riot I mean, I would situation ear going on. Protection, maybe. Ear protection would, might have been a good Yeah, thing, there's but, no ear protection on him. But everything else, I think. He's sitting right next to the symbols. But some of that's great because exposing, you know, having kids out and about and having them. No, be you can look at him situation. and see that he's scared, kind of. And, oh. and it, it just makes you cringe. Like, that's what I thought was cool. That's what I thought. I thought, how. And I, ha, and I don't know about other parents, but I have these things like I'll read that, that then I misinterpret and then I just make as truth. And one was about Marlon Richards, that Mar, Keith Richards' son grew up all around his drug use and whatever, right? 
So I felt, and, and the kid, and the Marlon Richards turned out all right. He's a good, solid guy, right? Mm. So I thought, well, Marlon Richards is okay, so I'll just bring Elijah with me all the time, and we'll just, you know, we'll just fucking, we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Chuck, do you have a particular story that you regret, you know, one that you're like, oh, man, I wish, you know what I mean? Like, that you had to go to your son and make amends or anything like that? Hmm. I really got him shaken up. You're not in here, Mike. That's a serious question. Yeah, no, I'm because I want to share it with our listeners. There's a lot of sober guy dads that listen. Bunch of dads going yeah. through the same thing, man. You know what? Um, there was a an overall disconnect that I feel like I'm trying. It's almost like I'm trying to make up for it through my my young guy. Yeah, that's what Elijah, my older son, has told me that. I get it, Dad. You fucked up really bad with me, and now you're trying to do it the right way. I get it, and mm -hmm. I respect it. But I didn't, I didn't see it that black and white and that cartoonish. It's kind of an evolutionary thing, but he, I, I, I totally respect his right to see it that way. You well, know what it, I mean? It, it, it really felt like that. It's like, like one, of my, uh, one of my first friends in AA told me that, he, you know, that it was... Uh, that I had my kids' names tattooed on my wrist so I wouldn't forget that I had kids because uh, I just, I never talked about them. They weren't important as far as I was concerned when I was new sober. They were with her and I was happy they were with her. They I was were glad. Safe. I, they were safe. Well, I didn't even know that they were safe. I didn't think that they were in the kind, they were living in the sort of conditions they were, but it was, I, I you know, I just, there was such a disconnect. It took me. You know, and I, I think my middle one will hold this against me if he ever hears it, but uh, I doubt he will because I'm on this. <laughs> he doesn't listen to anything I do. <laughs> but you know, so I, I think that um, the the whole idea of it took me a, about a year and a half to even start having feelings for them the way I think people should. Well, have that's feelings. yeah, I had that too, and 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 that's so brave of you to say that i i've said it a lot because i've gotten used to talking about it i've but never i I've would never heard it i was <laughs> i was hearing what dads were saying how they felt about their kids and i didn't feel that way oh, i thought and what am I, I doing wrong I, felt, I must be the devil or something right. but what it is is that numbness and that deadness in your soul that takes time to break free and break and and you know what i mean i just feel like i was and and you know, I was uh, just uh, like an ice, a piece of ice and it needed to melt and it needed to crack and it, and it was going to be painful. And it, and eventually I did start to feel that way. And but I remember how, uh, how do you make a serious like amends to your older child in that situation when they're grown and there's things between you and you. I think there's unspoken ones since you, you were sober when you had your kids, there's unspoken ones which is, you know, Elijah knows he can always depend on me, right? Mm -hmm. it, not, not in that enabling way, but that I, he, he's worked from a disadvantage in life because of me. Now, he doesn't give him carte blanche just to, just to be a fuck up, but it does make for learning curves for him. So I'm going to help him around the learning curves, right? One has been... It, his biggest one, and I don't, yeah, he gets pissed if I talk about it too much. So, but one has been compromising. He's not 
he's not good at compromising. He doesn't know how to compromise. <laughs> I wonder where he gets that from. <laughs> and so it's been this ongoing dialogue about compromising. Like you don't have, you, you, the only choice you have is whether you're a man of your word, right? So if I say I'm going to do something, if I'm midway through it and it's fucked up and I don't want to do it, I still finish it because I said I would. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That goes on a lot with him with work because his work is trancy and he works for different companies and he works on different tours and, and some are great and some are not so great and some, you know, and, and I just say, you know, whatever it takes, whatever I have to do to help support you get through this. You said you would do it, you sign up for it. There's got to be something to learn. Hang in there. It'll be okay. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that, because th I think that's something you're supposed to teach a kid when they're like 15. But if you're a fucking <laughs> asshole when they're 15, right, you're not teaching you them that. <laughs> but, you know, they, they still learned it anyhow. And, that's, and, and Chuck, Chuck, how, did you, I'm just curious, I'm sorry. Did you uh, approach your 27-year-old and can you talk to them and the middle one, the, the two older ones, and talk about this? Yeah, well, this is, it's funny because the way I first tried to make amends for it is the way most people did or at least the way i was not be that raised, way anymore was no was to buy them things oh that that's you know, a yeah that's you know a to thing. try and to try and i'm gonna purchase my way back into their life i'm gonna show them how much i love them by going without and by giving like i remember buying one of those freaking it was one of those i don't know it was one of those cards that was gold and it was i bought it for my kid it was like 80 dollars like one of those pokemon pokemon and, yeah oh yeah and, but i mean it was a while back and it, and it was 80 bucks and it was just like he was he didn't even care about it but you know i'm thinking i'm being a good dad i'm providing i'm giving things and eventually it became what what bob was talking about and that is you know an amends isn't an apology it's not an i'm sorry how many i'm sorry's can i get for a quarter is what i used to hear you know an amends is i was wrong i've seen i've seen where i'm wrong and i'm changing and i it won't happen again and i haven't taken them for granted and i have and they've meant more is is they didn't bother hurting me until I started feeling for them. Let's just put it that way. So then there hasn't been the big talk, the big talk about like you know. Yeah, what, the big talks don't work. I mean, I've had the big talks like I don't know five times or something. The big talks is a is a really nice myth of the twelve step world. It's an ongoing relationship thing, right? Because there's some things that I look at that I am not responsible for, that he believes oh, no, that uh, I am responsible for. But you get credit for. for it, for sure. Yeah, no, no. No, you'll yeah, get blamed negative, for it. Credit, negative credit right. for it. All day. So, so, so that, that way that it's talked at at the podium, that, that's what I realize is. So fast forward, I realize the guys I was thinking I wasn't feeling uh, as uh, that, that love towards my children, right that mm -hmm. then they made me feel ashamed or guilty they oh, yeah. were lying a lot of times <laughs> you know that, that i swear to god i hope they were because you know but, but whatever <laughs> they maybe. were exaggerating they're fucked up too they're trying to present themselves as super dads at the cool hipster meeting and i'm sitting there knowing i'm not a good father knowing that i, I need more. to learn and yeah. be better and i can't and i don't know how and i'm too prideful to ask and eventually it was gloria scott mike that really helped me 
And so the big the big talk just sounds like bullshit when well, he's yeah. coming they out. They don't like, they don't like the big talk you know at right. all. I have to, I have to say that this. was that's, my experience. That's good to know for dads well, that are you know I mean more action less just like you know that oh, I'm gonna just talk this into the ground <laughs> well, and then uh, you can't and, and then and then they just go the kid walks away going eh, just bullshit and more but, bullshit. But see it was like what it was like what Bob was saying is there wasn't this one moment where it all came and this light bulb went off above my head and I went, Oh shit, this is what's happening. It happened little by little. So there was a series of little things that I tried to approach adolescent children with to explain to them what their adult person was going through and how it happened and why it happened. And I'll tell you what, I'm sorry for most of it because it just became ammunition for them to use when they needed money for drugs and wanted to make me feel guilty but it wasn't one big thing it was it was a slow you know a slow revealing i won't say revelation because that sounds prophetic but it was a slow revealing of things and how i was and how i was changing to where next thing you know i'm watching um i'm watching that home show where they redo the homes for the people that don't really deserve it and the kid that that guy goes move that bus and i'm crying because they made the house so beautiful for those people and it's like what are these feelings going on and i didn't like it anymore it was a weird there was what show is this uh, (laughs) when they fix people's houses you know it was like home edition. It was some sort of remodeling show where Ty Pennington would go, and that's the guy's name. He'd go in and he'd go, we're going to give them 12 bedrooms because they've got 14 kids, and we're going <laughs> to give them this, and we're going to give yeah. them that, and they're going to... And I forget. And uh, that's that materialistic fix-it American philosophy. But, you know, for... But and, it, and really, it's about stewardship. So I had to go to over years like ask other dads that aren't associated with 12 steps at all you know what i've noticed is go ask the people that were successful from the get-go right so i've asked people that didn't weren't drug addicts that didn't didn't end up going through this big cathartic bragathon about how great they are 12-step approach go to the people that didn't end up on drugs and ended up living <laughs> healthy good lives and ask them how they parent so here's the thing repeatedly those people told me i i tried to raise my kids pretty much the way that my parents raised me right so health begets health begets health right right and so i adopted that now there were things about my parents that were totally unhealthy and i'm smart enough to know what they were but there were things that they were really smart about like it's not my problem you know my mom used to tell me that all the time there was no cre- taking your problem and make it making it a collaborative problem with my mother. <laughs> there was no collaboration of problem solving. It was my it was my problem. I didn't study. I'm fucked. You 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 did this. You need to learn from this. I couldn't go to my mom like, "Can you help me study because I'm going to get a deaf or whatever?" Like, "Can you do this or Not can you problem. get me a tutor cuz mm. I didn't do what I was supposed to do?" There was no collaboration with my mom. So I've always tried to be well, like that There's she not- told you that she was your sister no this is my grandma that raised me oh oh my grandma that raised me but, <laughs> but your mom was sister a- mom is not a mom in any way she's like a party partner yes but in uh, this is, <laughs> well, that, so this was your this was your grand this was your story. grandmother the mom. mom that raised me yeah there was no collaborative things with her but did Yours, your mom now bob did your mom live in the same house with you as your sister no, only till i was like five or something right wow man that's and then rad. she got married and moved away but get this 
So my mom used to say, um, uh, whatever you present her with something like I got I got benched at, at baseball or something, she'd say, um, whose problem is that? My problem or your problem? And she goes, you know, it was always pushed it back at you. So that you started to learn that you have to solve your own problems at 12, 13, 14, right? So I started doing that. Like, I don't know. And saying, I don't know. This is the hardest thing for an alcoholic, sober alcoholic to say to their teenage kid. I don't know. I don't know what you should do. I don't know. I'm not you. No, but it became a go-to for me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do. This is what I... You know. Even though in my mind I fucking knew absolutely what this should be done, I started saying, I don't know. That's funny because my sponsor pulled that shit on me. He would like... I would ask him a question and he would go, you know the answer to that. And he wouldn't tell me. <laughs> and I, I, I'd like, no, I don't. Why would I ask you if I didn't know the answer? Yeah, so you know weird, the answer. Just think about it. It's a weird that's world. That's a good sponsor, man. That's, that's you know, if, if that's all I can be is a sounding block for other, for the, the guys I talk to, if they can hear themselves talk, they can nine out of ten times come up with their own solution without me even having to say anything. They just have to get it out of their head that's going 100 miles an hour and put it into words, and the answer becomes very clear very quickly. Uh, that's all I got to do is sit and listen to people, and they solve their own problems all day. Yeah, um, well, and that, and we have to do that with our kids. But what are you really saying? You're you're being honest, sharing honestly. Like I fucked up. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. But I know that it's critical to say, listen, you have to search within yourself. This is the what my mom taught me that I started doing. And I do it with Elvis from now when he's seven, and I say, listen you're you're trying to to uh use this as an excuse for whatever you're the one that's gonna live with the outcome of it so you're trying to get me to agree elvis wanted to we have this rule this video game that's violent we're just doing a little bit of delayed gratification he turned seven on october 10th right and he got scared of this game like three months ago and i shouldn't say He's not going to listen. He peed himself. He got so scared, right? Six years old. So then we're just like, you cannot play this game. You're not doing this game, right? What happens when, it, when you deny a kid, a precocious sudden, little kid? That's all he wants to talk about. That's all he wants. It's different. It was just because he was holding it. He didn't. It was an excuse about why he peed himself. It's all this kind of stuff, right? Somebody put my finger and, in hot water. Yeah, yeah. So... So we just said, you, you can't play the game until you're seven, right? And he keeps coming out. He, this weekend, he came out like three different ways. You know, don't, don't you think I look like a seven-year-old? <laughs> I'm referring to him as seven, right? Because he's like six weeks right. away. Like, and I'm like, you do look like a seven-year-old, but you're not seven. And the agreement was that when you turn seven, you can start playing that game. And, you know, it's interesting because I also don't, test it all that much i don't look on his phones or his computer i just know that he's not doing it right at a certain point when he's eight or nine he's gonna know secrecy and and you know and i'm waiting to see that in him so that we can have a conversation about that you know you can get away with right. things and you can do things that but right now he's in that mommy and daddy know better and i would never do that it doesn't even dawn on him to just download little monsters and play it on the phone and hide the phone somewhere you know what i mean but it's coming 
I can tell. Oh yeah, I hope so. I I, I hope it is. I mean, I, I hope that for for my little guy too. I mean, because that's that's part of growing up and testing boundaries and pushing things and using your cre- creativity and making the brain work to try and get what you want. And those are lessons that I think that's so important. It's just a part of growing up. Just like experimenting is a part of growing up. Part, as, much as, it. as much as I don't like it, I had to accept that that's a natural part of what most kids go through and that I can't, I can't put my disease on them. Well, and, and nowadays, the, the only thing, I, I say the same things to kids that I say to clients that I say to everybody. When Hunter S. Thompson and William Burroughs and Jack Kerouac and Timothy Leary and Keith Richards and Jimmy Page and the cultural icons of the world were experimenting with drugs, it was a small fraction of a very informed population, right? It was 3% of the world's population abused narcotics. 3%, right? I don't know. I, I'll trust you, though. It's, it was 3%. That number is now 27%. So obviously, more uninteresting, uninformed people that are not pushing the envelope, that are not writing books, that are not creating great epic music and art and thought and challenging people's beliefs and and reinventing the society. It's just a lot of people just doing drugs. And it's just very mainstream and it's very common and typical. And so an act of rebellion in the society is to take nothing. <laughs> I truly believe that. Did you ever hear that Dandy Warhol song? It's called, uh, I Never Thought You'd Be a Junkie Because Heroin is So Passe. No. And that was such, such a great song. And it was like it was like 10 years ago, maybe maybe even longer than that. It was like when everybody was doing heroin again, like in the 90s. And it was like... Doing heroin in America right now is about as unique and special as going to Walmart to get, a, you know, to get <laughs> groceries. It's the most mainstream thing in America. I was going to say getting a tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> so so anyways, I just think we need to be honest with our kids. And I said when, you know, when my older son was contemplating sobriety, I said, listen, it's a really an act of punk rock rebellion right now. When you got it, when you're everybody's on drugs, like it's pretty punk rock to just say, I don't take nothing. I don't take Paxil. I don't take Seroquel. I don't take fucking nothing. I think it's a it's a punk rock thing to do, and saying I'm going to survive in this society based on my own coping strategies and my community and my ability to be honest and my ability to sit with my feelings and try to understand them and talk with other people and become enlightened. That's what I'm going to do, instead of run off to every fucking urgent care because my this or that or label myself all these disorders i'm gonna live a righteous life you know close to people close to community in a really in just a righteous way you know what i mean it's it's kind of sad to watch because i've been there i've been that guy and to watch people functioning at 75 percent or 50 percent and and talking about it like man i know what's going on and i got this i got it and it's just like yeah but no i'm watching i'm watching you go through this routine that's so wake up go to work come home sit in front of the tv go to bed go to work wake up i mean it's just the same same shit and there's no life 
There's no excitement. Yeah. There's no mixing it up. There's no, you know, that's what I love. My wife and I get along so great. You know, let's grab the kid. Let's go sit in the street in Long Beach and wait for Mike Martin and Bob to show up. Yeah, I can't believe how, some... can you believe how late Mike got there? He lives like <laughs> no, a few blocks away. Wait, how late? <laughs> you, I think you got there after I was, him. <laughs> but I'm coming from Claremont. <laughs> And there was big contour. I was trying to get Elvis to go, and then and then it, the, our gig time switched from eight thirty to nine forty-five. And I was like, "Is Elvis going to really be up? We're going to be playing ten nine forty-five to ten fifteen. Is he going to be even awake at ten fifteen? Your little guy was. Uh, he, he had fun. Yeah. Did he nap? That day, yeah. Yeah. See, Elvis didn't. See, nap. We, we didn't know. We didn't even know it was going to be that late. We thought it was an eight o'clock show. Yeah, so, me too. I but, thought it was eight thirty. But we had a we had a busy day. He took a nap, and and it worked out really well. And he had a good time. That's what it's about. He likes going to music stuff. Yeah, and that you know, just I don't know. I I just I just think that counselors need to be sympathetic to clients who who whose parents are, you know, in that sickness. Whether they're drug addicts or not, they're in that materialistic sickness that you talked about. They're in that prideful, shameful parenting kind of position. They're in that pontificating too much and lecturing and all that. And it's our job to help them understand how we parent. I don't lecture. I, I say I don't know 75% of the time. I do. I say I don't know. No, yeah, I've made I've made those mistakes. I've I've made all those mistakes. But we need to help coach the parents of the addicts that are in the treatment centers because they're getting no direction. Well, to be you able to, I mean? to be able to tell them like you have, I'm sure, to be able to say, I tried every angle there was, and until I stood back and said, "Man, there's nothing I can do to help this. I need to let other people help with this. They need to find it on their own." You know, back when my mentor, Buddy Arnold, right. A couple of clients died. And he used to say, if they die, they die. That's on them. Right? Mm -hmm. I never forgot that. That was like 1999. He used to say that all the time. That was like an old junkie mantra. If they die, they die. That's on them. Right? It's just, it's... And um, that, that now has evaporated. You know what I mean? Ultimately, if somebody dies of drugs you know like people like to say oh they died of the disease no that's on them they made a mistake they were overly confident they were silly they were inexperienced and thought they were something else um that parents need to know that that they're not bad parents that that help to put their kid in the ground or something right well, most aren't right most aren't most aren't bad parents, and that's one of the hardest things to. But even if you're the worst parent in the world, which I would say I'm top tier. Oh come I'm like on! Top, no, no way. When bringing your kid like to drug dealers' houses and putting him on stage with no headphones and letting him stay up if till two o'clock in the morning. If that's the worst you did, you did you did great compared to some of the stories I've heard. Well, yeah, okay. I'm not protecting your child. I did right. protect you protected my child, your child and right? You, and you but cared. I didn't. I didn't protect him against my lifestyle. You know, but as soon but, as you but, were capable, you stepped in. As soon as you were capable, you weren't there. You weren't able. But to But I think I fucked up even more in the first two years. I was like, Mister, you got to do this. You got to do that. I'm Mister Superdad. I go from trying to be Keith Richards and Marlon Richards in a hotel room, like shooting heroin while he's watching cartoons. 
to you've got to get A's, you've got to do, you're so bright, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, mister, because you know why? Because 12-step people told me that's how you parent. Well, you, you were listening to monkeys. <laughs> no, I was listening to my sponsor. <laughs> Monkey C. I, I should have had Mike's sponsor, but I'm scared yeah. of bikers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, there's a lot of life out there that's monkey see, monkey do, and you got to watch the monkeys really close. You know what I really realize about myself is I tend to stereotype that if you're going to be a stereotype, then I don't really want nothing to do with you. No, seriously. If you're going to wear all this stuff and the little thing and the, what, all the what, whatever trappings of a, of, a, of a lifestyle, if you buy into that, I'm not interested in what you have to say. And that's my, I lose that way. Because there's a lot of wisdom. Just because somebody's got to have the goatee and the vest and all that. You know what I'm talking about. Right, no, no. I've always avoided those types of guys. But Mike talks about these guys that he met that helped him to get sober. And they sound so wise. But I'm just so... I don't but like that's, stereotypes. That's it. That's it. That's a great observation, though, because Bikes, when stereotypical man, me, like bikers got sober, all of a sudden, you know, they were like good people. You know, they they went and, and they did good things for I know, children. But they, and they did, did they still think that their women are property? No, they grow up. Well, then why do they dress like that? Because that's that, that's like what they do. They love motorcycles. <laughs> you know, it's just like you know, it's, you know, it's just you know like you. Saying. Why do you wear the hat? You know, I mean, really. Because my dad always wore a hat. Right. Well, well this yeah. is the thing. We acclimate to the crowd we're kind of with without even realizing it. We pick up each other's euphemisms. We pick up each other's. Uh, it's an identity you know habits I, you know and the dressing habits, especially. It's an identity, and you can't put down people. You can't put down people for wearing like punk rock clothes when they're old, and you can't put down bikers for wearing the same clothes they were wearing when they were. Are you really that open-minded? When you see uh, a person wearing, uh, there's lots of stereotypes, a suit and tie, okay? So, so I interviewed this guy the other day, and he's wearing a suit and tie, right? Matching suit and tie. And, you know, I, I immediately want to get underneath of that, because I think that's something that people hide behind. There was no, for, for, for what the meeting was, it's there a, was no reason right. to wear a suit and tie. It's a costume, same as It's a as costume, a, a same scene. as the biker costume, same as the old punk rocker costume, same as, you know, add whatever costume, the new preppy look for Nazis costume, right? <laughs> the the, the white dockers. The white, <laughs> He's in the white dockers. The white, the white, the white polo shirt, <laughs> no, the tan dockers. Anytime somebody's, even in my favorite band, I'm looking at my favorite, one of my favorite bands of all time, The Jam. I thought it was goofy the way they dressed. You know what I mean? They were reinventing the mob. Oh, look. come on, man! I just I mean, thought it was look, at the, look at the pogues. You never look at the pogues and go like, or or, or the cramps or uh, the Ramones, and say that they just got they do what they do. I did kind of judge down on the Ramones because it was like <laughs> when they were like fifty and still wearing the leather jacket. They put the leather jackets on to play. Like right. I, just, I like, wouldn't have paid to see them if they weren't wearing the leather jackets <laughs> in ninety degree weather. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, there's so there was so much talk about Didi just being unhappy about having to look that way and having to do that thing, and he wanted to do more of a dollsy thing. Yeah, but he had to stick with the haircut and the, and the, the jeans jacket. and the jacket. And then it was, it well, was Johnny part, Johnny was pushing all that. But you know what I'm saying? That I just was branding. Been, I've been interested branding. in people that they're their intellectual curiosity doesn't match what they look like. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that that's that's what I'm interested in. Like people that don't give a fuck. 
that don't give a fuck, right? That don't fit a stereotype. And for some reason, I realize that I've lost out on a lot of wisdom because I'm so superficially judgmental about that very issue. You know, you're having the same conversation that John Lennon had with Paul McCartney back in like 1968. Oh, he didn't want to wear the suit? Yeah, look at him. They all split up. They're like, you know, John's wearing all white and George Harrison's got a beard and Paul McCartney looks exactly the same. <laughs> he, just, he does look exactly the same. Yeah, huh? I just he saw a him a year too. ago uh, at that desert trip. He looks exactly the same he did in 1967. If it was up to Paul McCartney, they'd still be wearing the suits like the Ramones. <laughs> no, but there's something to be said for just be he, that's who he is that's what he is he was that way on say 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 he was that way on sergeant pepper <laughs> and he's that way at desert trip he's just that's what he that's what he looks like that's paul mccartney he doesn't you know i i maybe i'm going down a rabbit's hole but it's just i realized that when mike said that and that i've heard stories of his sponsor for 20 years and i've always thought like i could really get into that if it wasn't all the biker stuff <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so it's just the bikers. Yeah, I just I don't understand it. Why adhere to a, a stereotype when you're a wise person? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, you know, and they're but the costumes get comfortable. They become part of who you are. They become part of people's identity. I think people. I mean, when I grow, for me to grow a goatee, I I feel like I'm wearing a disguise. My wife goes, "Will you grow one again?" Because she likes it sometimes when I do. Like she's the reason that my head got my hair got cut. She says, "Let's cut your hair." I cut it. She says, "You're now." Now she says, "It looks better long. We should grow it again." <laughs> That's just the way it goes every time. But you know, I'm glad it got cut in the summer when it was hot. But I'll grow a goatee, and but I, I look at myself in the mirror and I go, "I feel like I'm wearing a costume. Like I'm trying to hide something." Other people, they they look wrong without it. I, wonder, I don't know. And, and people so, love being associated with a group, like the bikers or or country or something like that. They put on a country hat and they put on some cowboy boots, and all of a sudden, you know, they're they feel comfortable in their group. You know, I mean, that's just the way it is. We we dress the same. You do not dress the same as you did when you were a stereotype. No, I don't. You're right. I and don't. Not, I try not to. I just wear what I've always worn. You know what I mean? Like, there's no is there's no club. There's no club. You know what I'm saying? So the reason why I bring it up is because that's that's a choice that that people identify with a group, with a dress style, with a thing, right? An identity. Then what's being talked about is your national heritage and the color of your skin. By these groups that have these identifiable things, I just think that we need to like become individuals. That's all. That, I think I wish there was more, more individuality and based on the character of a person and their intellectual curiosity, and everybody would stop with all the stereotypes. I just wish that, and I think it'd be better for our kids because I, I see it now. This I, I have long hair, I've always had long hair, except for one time I shaved it. Mike was there. I shaved it because a girl cheated on me or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> That's a good reason. And it was just, it was really because my head is small and my body is big. Sabrina. Yes. And so. That's so, who you wrote So What If I Did About. Yeah, right? yeah. So, so get this. So Elvis never cut his hair. Never. Goes to school. Three weeks in, I want to get a haircut. I'm like, you're not getting a haircut. What are you talking about? Forests don't cut their hair. No. <laughs> No. And then eventually it became so important to him. I was like, okay, cut your hair. I got to be flexible. Right. But it was, it hurts me 
that he was so peer-driven at five years old to fit into the cesspool of his society, right? It just, it just bothers me. Still to this day, it's two years later. And I, I, I just don't like that. You should be judged by your character. You should be judged by your intellectual curiosity. You should be judged by your interest in other people and ideas, not by how you dress or what your haircut you have or the color of your skin or any of this nonsense that America is just fascinated with, right? Just fascinated with it. Like, I'll give you an example. So I'm always with Dr. Drew, right? They started calling me Dr. Bob at that TV show the other day. <laughs> no, no. Like, and, I, and I've been called that a million times, and I just say, I'm not a doctor, and then it just goes round and round, and I have to remind everyone. So finally, I just don't say anything, right? But when I started being in his circle, there, rather than, because his circle is very academic oriented, a lot of doctors and lawyers and, you know, a lot of intellectuals, whatever. And so they would try to figure out, what is this fucking guy? Who is this guy? <laughs> what are you doing? Right? Here? So I've been at dinner parties a lot of times. I remember I was at his 50th birthday and the people asked me, so how do you know Drew? And I say, well, I work with him. Oh, really? Where, uh, what do you do? I'm a drug and alcohol counselor. Oh, really? Where did you go to school? Marina High School. <laughs> and, and it's that upper crest, crest trying to figure out like if you're important or not. Well, you need to fit in a box somewhere. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Box, exactly. You need to be pigeonholed okay, somewhere. So let's just be dad boxes. And let's just have dialogues about well, how, what, how do you be a good dad? How do you be a good parent? How do you, what is right and what, what is helpful to young people? How do young people start to get their own autonomy? That's what the parents of our clients should be talking about. That's what we should be talking about with them. That's what we should be talking about with each other. It's because we have, we have really failed a whole generation of children, and we know this, and we talked mm -hmm. about it a little bit, right? Yeah. And we need to not fail the next generation. We need to either go back to what our parents did, which is what you and I are saying. My mom would be like, whose problem is that, mine or yours? That was her favorite fucking saying when you brought a problem to her. Whose problem is this, my problem or your problem? You know, that's, that's funny because I was uh, talking with some friends of mine, uh, um, and they're, well, there's three of them that I do music with that are only children. And so they were talking about only children things. And one of the things that they do is they they solve problems on their own because they didn't have other kids to lean on. They learn how to talk to people. They're comfort, comfortable being alone and in silence. There are some things that are only children syndrome that I said, I, you know what, I have all those things. But it's also because I was at first born and there was time between me and my little brother and my little sister. So you spend a lot of time alone, you kind of come up on your own because uh, it. I don't think that children are allowed, especially only children anymore. With technology, anymore. they're never they're allowed never, to be alone. I was going to say that whole idea of being independent as a child really isn't there because there's always something with you, always somebody, always something. Well, the parents, I'm mostly focused on the parents of the addicts. They, they want to solve the problem that their adult child has. And I, I understand that. I tried. I tried. And I, <laughs> I don't, you can't do it. And they're the ones that need to hear the living in the solution message what about have faith have faith they're going to work it out they're not stupid they'll figure it out that's that's really what saved me a lot of times when the when the shit would hit the fan i would just say you know what he's a smart kid he's a good kid he'll fucking figure it out and my anxiety would diminish
right? To go back to the fundamentals, right? Now, I don't know that all parents feel that way about their children. That's a shame. Because you know why their kid maybe isn't a sharp kid and maybe isn't a good kid? Because they did a fucked up job of raising them. And now the kids are have gone to rehab and they're smarter than the parents about drugs and well, recovery. Well, they're smarter at manipulating things. You're starting to learn more, more about this, Mike. The parents, so much more than the kid, want the kid to be sober. And the kid then, the sobriety is not their own. You know right. what I mean? It's the a collaborative effort with these parents that are, you know, asking them all kinds of stuff. You know, did you go to a meeting today or did you do this or are you going to get a job or. Yeah, what, because you know, it becomes the, the parents like badge of, you know, like accomplishment. Yeah. Well, it, to relieve their anxiety, the, really what codependency is to relieve my anxiety. So what helps me when I get anxious about my older son and maybe mistakes he might make I just default to this knowing that he's sharp. He's a fucking good guy. He'll figure it out. He doesn't need me to fuck it up worse. How, how, often, <laughs> how often have you had it in treatment? Because I've had it a lot where um, an adult child won't put parents on the release of yeah, information. Yeah. So the parent finds an excuse to come down to the facility to like drop off that flannel that they really need yeah, during yeah, the yeah, summer. Yeah, yeah. And hey, while I'm here, do you think I could say hi really fast? <laughs> you know, you know, how's he doing? Well, one of how's the she things, doing? well, I find it a sin on the rehab's part that they take the parents' money. I really do. I think, I think, you know, you need to be counseling that parent because they're paying you 40 grand. You know what I mean? And that's a sin and that's a thing that recovery industry hides behind. Oh, well, you're not on the real. I can't confirm or deny that your kid is here. I used to have to do that when I had the fucking contract with Paul. Like mm -hmm. the parents didn't know the kids were living at my house, but then they'd find out and then they'd somehow find my phone number. And I'd be like, don't put me in this position. Like, <laughs> like let's, I, talk, let's talk in hypotheticals. If you did have a child and he was a little fucking prick <laughs> and he didn't want you to have access to talking to me, um, in that scenario... I think I would probably say he's doing all right and he's sober and he's safe and everything's okay in a, in a hypo, hypothetical if. situation. Yeah, I, I can't even Because go that the far. kids are trying to scare the parents. Well, when they, that's, when, that's when you have to rely on that relationship that you build with a client to be able to talk to them in a way that they'll understand to be able to show them how it feels or what they might be doing. When they're sober and when you can talk to them, sometimes you can work with that, sometimes you can't. Sometimes they're heartless little bastards. and They wanna get even. And, and they're, they're punishing the parents for, for, for putting them there. For sins we don't even know about. Yeah, Right. sometimes imagined. I've I've heard the stories about what I suppose. So I mean, you true. can't you can't you can't just say like, yeah, they're here. They don't want to no, talk to you. you no. Get, well, supposedly you could get supposedly you could get sued, but I, you know me, Mike. I go toe to toe with everybody. I go really. You're gonna fucking sue me in court? Who are they gonna believe? You or me? <laughs> now them because <laughs> they're gonna pull this up <laughs> yeah they're gonna take this they're gonna edit that out mike no leave it in no but i mean i mean are we really getting down to suing i you know one thing one other one thing you know what but wait a minute there's another there's a whole nother topic i'm 56 years old i have never sued anybody it's a fucking disgrace it's disgusting it's sickening
right? Why there's these threats constantly, Mike? You have no idea. I, I told I told it a couple of episodes ago, right? I'm being sued by like four people. I don't even know who the fuck they are. Oh, no. Like it's ridiculous in this country how much you can sue. If Trump wants to do something, get rid of that, you asshole. Oh, our litigious society is is ridiculous that you can notice. Say, he hasn't mentioned a word about that, Mister. Throw a brick in the window of Washington. Notice he hasn't made a one mention about lawsuits because he threatens them all the time himself. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, it, so, anyways, Mike. So that yes, your the answer to your thing is if I tell the parent that their kid is there and they haven't put them on the release of information, I'm I'm opening myself up for legal problems so you have to say to the parent i can't confirm or deny whether that person is here um well the biggest threat of that is you'll lose your licensing the the facility will yeah well you know we can shut the whole thing down so there's more than just you know me and whatever you can't get blood out of a turnip they could sue me all day long I've got a motorcycle and a couple cars. No, the, couple no they just name you, but they're suing the facility and they're right. trying to get out the facility's malpractice insurance. That's how they do it. Well, and then they then they take away your accreditation, and so you can't. I can't even write. A, I can't even do a group anymore. So that's a heck of a threat. So it really is a weird thing, and kids are doing it more and more. It's been less and less like the last year, but like two, three years ago, it was a lot. I bumped into it a lot. Like I don't want my parents to know where I am. Like I did. They paid your copay. What the fuck are you talking about? Okay, well then, then if you, if you, you know. how can they not know where you are? They just wrote a check for fifty six hundred dollars. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you want to use my phone to call them? No, you can't. You're not on their release. <laughs> it know, is the craziest no, shit I, I, in the I, I world. I talked to your mom, and she said if she's not on your release, you're not allowed to call her. So <laughs> start picking cigarettes out of the ashtray. <laughs> you know, roll it your own. So crazy. Oh my God, Mike, Mike, your head would explode every three days. I don't think I would be very good at it. <laughs> I would just be like, fuck you, they're here, they don't want to talk well, to you. This is all stuff they tell you after the fact. You know, you go in with these big ideals, and I'm going to help people, and I I love addicts, and I love alcoholics, and I like the fouled up misfits, and the next thing you know, you're worried about being sued because you told them Johnny's there. That's all you got to do. <laughs> Fucking kidding me. <laughs> I'm really bad. So I've told the parents the address of the house. I said, well, I don't know... Um, but I mean the address here is six six whatever it is six oh one oh Graciosa Drive. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I can't confirm or deny, but that's the address of this facility. <laughs> Where you can find a little dick. Where you can sit. <laughs> maybe if he were here. Okay, this has got me wondering though. What if you have a concerned parent that they just want to know their kid is safe? And that's they go, mostly what it is. And they that go was, like, "Okay, that's fine. That's cool." Every time, like I've ever done these jokey things that I'm saying, and literally I've only done it a handful of times, was because the mother was beside herself and didn't know if the kid had left and was getting high. You know what I mean? You know, I just don't understand the whole thing where you can't like. Well, because because there's people's rights. It's a medical record, and their 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 rights to privacy supersede everything else. But I I talk about even something further. These are adults. We're treating them like they're eleven. Like they can't go to the store by themselves. They can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. They need to be told what time to go to sleep, and they can't kiss girls or boys. We're treating them like they're eleven. But they're actually that that release of information, that 
HIPAA, those laws, is because the person you're treating is a fucking adult. Yeah. And rehab centers should start considering that as we move into the next five, 10 years because they are being treated like, like tweener children, yet you're lo- opening yourself up for all these problems because they are legal adults, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the truth. But it, it's unbelievable, Mike, what we've been through. Anyways, all we're trying to do is get you to understand that we're parents, we're trying to do the best we can if your kid's a drug addict, you're going to have to dig deep. You're going to have to, like, it's painful. It's what, what not I went, easy. What I went <laughs> through for easy, 15 slick. years is not, it's not fun. But it, in the end, you know that you did it. And you know that, that you learned a lot about yourself. And you learned a lot about, about how to be a better parent. And you learned a lot about your kid and how, how society works and and everything instead of just the simple shit that we just repeat over and over again go to school and go to college and do this and do that and make money all that's bullshit it's about (laughs) communication and honesty and community and whether you dig a ditch in this country or you're president of the united states if you have dignity and courage and kindness you're you're a great citizen and if you don't it doesn't matter what level in society you are, you're a fucking mess and you harm other people with it. And so we're trying to get a less harmful society, right? When right. I, the last thing I'll leave you with, the kid who ran over the girl that killed the girl in Charlottesville, right? right. Did you hear the mom talk in the, in the media? No. Her, his mom. I told you, I've not been, I've not been out okay, there. Okay, well, he's 19 years old, and mom's like, I thought he was going to a Trump rally. I didn't know. He's not, I don't think he's involved in the, the kid's been involved in the, in the, in the alt-right and, uh, you know, the white supremacist movement f- for like three years. And the mom had no idea. Oh, dude, that's the that's, next DC song. That's No Thugs in Our House. That is that song. I, really? You need to visit that song. Oh, okay, song. everybody, let's go listen this to is, No, this is the amazing thing about that story, Bob, and that is that the father got on immediately almost on uh, the news programs and everything. He says, you know what? I forgive that guy, man. I don't blame, you know, I don't hold any kind of resentment towards the kid whatsoever. I've already let that out, let that go and let that out of my the heart. Dad I was of the fucking girl, amazed. The dad of the girl? The dad of the girl. Yeah, yep. the mom was pretty amazing, too. You know, that gets back to my favorite experience in all of American terrorism. The, it was mind-blowing. I cried when I watched it. I thought, I am not, I need to reach to be a higher self. When those Amish kids at that child day Henderson got murdered and right. the leader of the Amish came out that evening and said, we pray for the man who did this. That's Christianity, dude. That is real. This eye for an eye shit and all this hatred. Oh, they brought they brought food to the the family of the of, of the guy the who did it, and they that visited was, him in prison. And was, they, they, they 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 are the oh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's such honest forgiveness, man. That is, but that is what everybody says they are, and they're not. No, they lived it. That that was amazing, and I remember thinking like, oh my god, I'm such a hypocrite. You know what I mean? It, that puts you in your face who you were as a person. No, oh, they're, they're amazing human beings. Try to raise amazing human beings. Her parents were amazing examples of kindness and, and love. And, they, and so then that's another reason why you know she was kindness and love because you, you're getting to experience her parents, hmm. right? 
a little hard to paint it like equal on both sides when somebody's child who is like those two parents kid got killed right and then the other woman saying i didn't even know no he's just a trump backer <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean good mom so what yeah. we're trying to do is 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 migrate away from being like the perpetrator's mother ignorant to their child ignorant to the society what their child's involved in what their child believes what their child you know obviously a very troubled young man right and his mom completely oblivious to it and then the the wonderful gal i guess she was very outspoken very active very very uh wonderful light and and profound uh effect on her on her on her community and her parents are amazing and they're forgiving and they're kind and they have nothing they need to talk to to, to president trump about did you see that no trump, trump keeps trying to call the mom and she said i don't i don't answer the phone i have nothing what, what i don't need to talk to him <laughs> that's amazing wow his aides were trying to call her yeah, so he wasn't you, trying to call so them that he could get anybody the personally. That's how it works. Yeah. Like, Trump isn't calling people. He has somebody call, and then if they get on the line, he gets What's on the line. What's her number again? <laughs> yeah, you know, boop, boop. Yeah. But, I don't think he could. But think about that. That's what we're talking about in this show. I was the oblivious mom who I don't know. I don't think he's into any of that yeah, stuff. You got the wrong I kid. I was that oblivious. I was that oblivious. And you just try to migrate towards enlightenment. That's all we're trying to do. All right, till next time, we'll talk to you later. Bob and Chuck and Mike Mart. All right. Good night. See you Good later. Night. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake. 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call. <laughs>